0: Welcome to the Focus on Agriculture podcast, where we address topics relevant to today's consumers and farmers. I'm Preston Schrader.
1: And I'm Jason Carr. Preston and I are Technology Development Reps, or TDRs, for Bear Crop Science. As TDRs, our primary mission is to help solve agronomic challenges that farmers face and to understand how to best utilize the Bear suite of products, including traits, genetics, crop protection, as well as digital tools, to create solutions that are tailored to each grower's unique farm.
0: We have a couple goals with this podcast, the first being to help farmers across the country to address challenges that they face throughout the growing season while introducing them to game-changing technology that has the potential to radically benefit their farming practices. We also want to provide the consumers of ag commodities who are not necessarily involved in agriculture with information about the practices farmers engage in and the reasons behind them, hopefully provide a greater level of understanding and comfort with how their food is produced. So today we're joined by Cody Evans. He's a weed management TDR, one of me and Jason's colleagues here in Illinois. Um, Cody, how about uh, you go ahead and take some time to introduce yourself, give us a little bit of your background and your current role with Bear.
2: Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Thanks for uh, having me as well, Preston. So, um, like Preston said, my name's Cody Evans. I'm located in Central Illinois, but I get to cover all of Illinois and mainly. I get to conduct small plot herbicide research and I have the opportunity to collaborate with U of I and Southern Illinois University and Western Illinois University uh, to implement different herbicide research, whether that's looking more at how a herbicide may injure a crop or any crop response we might see from uh, uh, stacking in multiple herbicides into one application or also we look at efficacy and we've got a lot of different herbicide resistance traits that we get to look at. So a lot of new, interesting stuff. Um, it's been a really neat opportunity to be able to come into a position where I'm essentially doing what I was able to do in uh, grad school and throughout my, uh, college years, uh, where I was able to get into herbicide research and get a really nice exposure to that small plot type of situation. But, um, you know for the most part uh i grew up on a small farm just south of uh, jacksonville illinois and uh we around the time i was younger we were starting to see the live state resistance uh begin to become more of a widespread problem and so when i went to southern illinois university for my bachelor's uh dr young was there at the time and i got to come up underneath him and uh realize you know it's not just glyphosate resistance we're seeing resistance to ppo inhibitors and as i uh, moved to U of I, we were looking at hbpd resistance as well and so i got to take the next step and look at a population that was a five-way resistant population so that was that was my background that kind of got me to where i am now
1: great thanks thanks cody um, your expertise will uh, be really helpful here as we kind of get into this conversation. This has been a really crazy year this year, obviously. That's not not telling anybody anything new. I mean, our rainfall in April and May was, in a lot of cases, three times what we'd normally get. I mean, the farmers have been really struggling to get in the field. As of this week, I think the U.S. Ha- is now at the tw- wettest 12-month period that we have on record. Mm-hmm. Um, for over seven months, there hasn't been a single county in Illinois that's been in drought conditions, which is another record. I mean, it's just uh, historically high rainfall totals and precipitation that we've been having even going back into the winter with the, the snow.'re mm-hmm. um, we're, we're, the farmers have really struggled at looking at soybeans. Um, we're, don't, we're around half the crop has been planted compared to about 92 percent normally at this time. Um, in the state of Illinois and nationally, the picture is a little bit better, but um, being that Illinois is a big portion of the, the national data, but um, 60% about of beans have been planted nationally compared to 90% in a normal year. So we've really, um, we're really we really way behind on a lot of things, um, and it's, it's been a struggle. And, and obviously, in a year like this, there's there's a lot of weed control considerations that come into play mm-hmm. too so it doesn't just yeah. affect the crops in the field it affects the herbicides also
2: agreed um we're seeing quite a bit of different interesting stuff out there this year and like you said with all the rainfall it some areas received quite a bit of rainfall other areas just received one rain after another even though they're smaller amounts they consistently stayed wet so uh this resulted in guys putting off burn down applications for a really long time because they knew they weren't going to be able to get in the field and um, plant. So we held off. Uh, so we see some resulting issues coming out of that. I'll catch up with that a little bit. But we also got to see, um, I've been walking a lot of fields lately. If we've got situations where, say, we used a chloroacetamide, uh, like Uh, esmatolichlor or acetylchlor and paired that with atrazine and corn, which a lot of popular products are that way, Harness Extra for example. Um, Somebody put out that as a pre in the cornfield. What we're seeing is all the atrazine's been washed out and now we're starting to see those larger seeded broadleaves like Morning Glory or Velvet Leaf begin to pop through uh, a little bit quicker than we would normally see because that atrazine's being taken out of the soil profile where the harness, or uh, the cedar portion, is still keeping the grasses down. Some of the other species are beginning to pop through a little quicker than they normally would. So, making sure that we go out and scout, uh, make sure you know we're not just driving past the cornfield to see if we've got a decent stand. Make sure we're double checking to make sure, uh, to see if there's any flushes beginning to pop. Um, also, I kind of talked about that issue where guys waited a little bit on burn down, and this is one of those years where if you didn't have a marestail problem in the past you might have found out this year that you have a little bit more of a problem than you were thinking Um, a lot of guys had some fields that were delayed with tillage and might have switched to no-till or um, were consistently no-till but weren't able to get a burn down out and so a lot of uh, delaying happened and we saw marestail begin to bolt and a lot of guys went out and tried to control that, Uh, some using contact herbicides and figured out that once marestail begins to bolt, it's really tough to control if you're not using a systemic herbicide. Uh, So some of these guys that even went out and planted into these fields that they were thinking, oh, we've sprayed it, you know, we need to get in there as quickly as possible. And now you've got a planted crop in and we're also looking at um, how oh, an issue with we've got a hardened off plant here that will be pretty tough to control so we've kind of established that the contact herbicides haven't worked so we'll need to switch over to products for example like in corn we can utilize an HVBd uh, inhibitor along with atrazine that will help out with a little bit of synergy there and some roundup or even adding in dicamba products and corn Uh, we watch the height make sure that we use a product that would have a safener in it Uh, and then in soybean uh, utilization of the extend program there worked extremely well um, to try to catch some of that mare's tail that we've already got one shot on but we need to try to control it and that will come into play, too. We, we want to make sure that if any of this is happening, that guys are catching it, they're seeing that they've got plants that aren't quite dying off and that we're making these early applications.
0: <clears throat> As Jason mentioned at the beginning, so we're sitting nationally at about two-thirds of the beans in the ground. We have another third mm-hmm. to go. Uh, obviously, late-planted beans. Since we are so late, uh, are we going to come up to any – um, deadlines as far as herbicide applications go uh, this summer. And yeah. I guess the second part to that question is will that restrict growers as far as ap- options go for mode of actions um, this year? Yeah,
2: no, that's a, that's a great question and one that's really timely. Um, one of the things that you know these delayed plannings have uh, brought us into is We've got some herbicides like Extendamax uh, and Ingenia and In Illinois, for example, uh, originally we had, uh, uh, the Illinois Department of Ag put a drop-dead date of June 30th for making applications. So it was 45 days after the date of planting, uh, to r one so when you begin to see flowering in the field, you would stop application to Dicamba and then... This was added in that we wanted to stop applications at June 30th. Well, with this delay, a lot of people were concerned that you know well, the planning being as pushed back as it has been, um, they were worried that they wouldn't be able to utilize uh, a dicamba application even if it was a very early application, which we do push for. I really like shooting for applications around that V3 stage anyway but they're worried about that being even an option so that date as of just i believe within the last week uh has been pushed to july 15th so there's good news there Um, so it went from june 30th to july 15th but It also came with the caveat of anyone who planted before June 1st will remain subject to the original planting date plus 45 days after the Canva application while anyone who planted after the June 1st deadline will be required to adhere to that 15th cutoff date. But another thing to keep in mind, uh, the later in the summer that we get, soybeans will push the date that they uh, put flowering out and go to that R1 stage. So instead, I've seen beans that before get to when you know uh so something you might want to also watch out for is the fact that soybeans might be getting pushed up a little bit more on that but okay and you also mentioned uh we've got issues with guys not being able to uh, plant and so things have been pushed to where we're not even getting a pre on in some cases um so if you do run into issues like that or say for example the beans are beginning to crack through and you're worried about utilizing a ppo inhibitor um due to the, some of the crop response you can see from that we can utilize something like a warren metribuzin combination that we've seen gives you a little less risk of a response um also i've used warren ultra as well and so that would be an encapsulated aceticlore and femesophen uh, the only thing, if that's beginning to crack and neck up, I kind of like to wait till we've got to about a unifoliate stage. But otherwise, if the beans are completely up and things are starting to flush through, it's just going to be as soon as we can get out there with a post application of. I would normally try to go with a Roundup, extendamax and set setup. Do the trifecta. and if we do that early, and make sure we get controlled there back reevaluate before we get to the cutoff date and plan accordingly um, as to what our pressure is species that we're dealing with
1: so cody you've referenced a couple times uh the labels the herbicide labels and um you know obviously the the days are past when you just pull the label off the jug although it's still there but um how important is it that that people go online and look for updates to those labels to make sure they're following the label directions
2: That is a really good question. Very extremely important. Um, And like you mentioned, things used to be a little bit more static and now everything's a little bit more fluid with the way um, herbicide labels are updated and things that we are looking at as uh, re-registration comes through for a lot of different herbicides, not just dicamba products, but um, using dicamba as kind of herbicide that has been pushing the way for that more fluid um, labeling type system where we would go onto a website and view the tank mixes that have been approved uh, it's very important to go back and check that
1: and that's a that's a great reminder too and and um, obviously the labels a lot of research and a lot of a lot of work goes into creating those labels and they're there for they're there for a reason and and following those labels um not only is the the law i mean it, it's it's the label is the law right but um also in order to um protect ourselves from from off target uh movement of applications and from weed resistance challenges and, and just for efficacy of the herbicide it's important to follow those labels
2: mhm and especially with the record keeping that's not just you know for down the line, if, if something does happen, it's really essential to be able to track, you know, if we're going to figure out exactly what happened, we need to have all the conditions that were um, happening at the time of that application. So it comes into that uh, to also kind of protect the guy that's making the application, you know, if things were done right, what what were those conditions that we had seen an issue in? Um, that way, if there's something that we've missed in the past, we'd be able to see that pattern.
1: So I, I think we do want to talk for a minute about uh, weed res- about herbicide resistance, but um, you were talking about um, preventing a, a major problem. Um, there's another kind of elephant in the room that, you know, some guys are going to prevent plant this year. Um, mm-hmm. What are your recommendations in those situations? Because I'm thinking it's probably not a good idea to just leave the ground uh, to its own devices.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's- – becomes a really an emotional topic for guys whenever that situation gets pushed, you know, it almost feels like a, a fail, a failed year on that field and it can be really tough. But, uh, things you got to keep in mind that, you know, we don't want an issue where we've got just a field of water and the that's going to seed. uh, that will just create a nightmare for the next couple of years and input costs will go up just due to that. Uh, There's different options that we can go with. Um, And if it's a prevent plant where we're actually going back and planting either corn and soybean, just remember what's been utilized for the pre originally, you know, don't have a corn pre down and try to go back and plant soybeans in. That can always be a really big issue to deal with or vice versa. Um, And then keep in mind if we're wanting to try to keep it open you can work the ground but you know we start running into you'll have to hit the ground several different times and you'll have erosion issues but uh, a lot of guys have considered going in and utilizing a cover crop uh, cereal rye gets a lot of uh, uh, biomass with it and has
0: worked pretty good
2: for suppression and my different weed management trials that we've tried to look at some different cover cropping species and how well they've worked
0: the other changing gears here a little bit you mentioned amaranth a couple times and thousands of progeny per plant Um, I guess if you could just update us on just kind of general population dynamics and updates on uh, specifically resistance Um, for example I've heard about water hemp resistance to group 15s I know um some of that resistance stuff probably ties into some of your graduate work as well but uh yeah. what's your perspective on that and then a second part is where are we at as far as like palmer uh movement
2: yeah so um as far as water hemp and what makes it such a uh tough tough character to deal with so water hemp uh, it's an obligate outcrosser so you have a male and a female plant a lot of genetic diversity say you kill you know nine out of ten plants in a small little area or let's let's leave another one so it can breed Uh, so eight out of ten plants and then the next year those two plants that survive, great seed well that's how you start building your resistant population Um, so with one herbicide that makes sense especially if we're using it over and over again So if we start using multiple, then let's say we do it different years. So, uh, you use one effective herbicide this year and then you use another single effective herbicide the next year. So that does help by breaking it up, but you've got to think if you still are doing that selection, you've got plants that are creating progeny that's resistant to herbicide A. And then the next year you have one that does the same thing for herbicide B. Um, that seed doesn't all just come up the next year, so every other, you know, every next year you'll still have seed from two years ago whenever it was exposed to that herbicide again. So it does help rotating back and forth, but what they've really found is utilizing multiple modes of action in a single year to try to keep everything as clean as possible uh, and take the pressure off of a single mode of action is the best way to go. So uh a lot of the times when we found these multiple resistant populations uh it's been usually it was the same herbicide over and over again but we have found that's a little bit more scary and you brought up that group 15 resistance that we've uh, been able to see uh, one of the populations i got to work with in grad school we looked at was a kind resistant population of water hemp over in champaign county uh, so
0: By
2: five-way, I mean, it was resistant to uh, PPO inhibitors, HBV inhibitors, 2,4-D, atrazine.
0: To kind of wrap up the podcasts, we always like to ask the experts that we interview uh, what's some upcoming technology that you're excited about that has the potential to change production agriculture for the better. Wondering Mm -hmm. if you had anything on your horizon that uh, gets you excited about uh, production ag, on the yeah, wind management yeah. front.
2: Uh, definitely. Uh, for Bayer upcoming, we've got our Extend Flex platform. This allows guys to utilize Dicamba on the really hard-to-control uh, uh, fields that they've got, but also in situations where Dicamba shouldn't be applied or, uh, you know, where we, something had changed in the neighbor that's over to the east of you where the wind's usually blowing has changed to a different... Uh, traded soybean that might be sensitive. Well, then that gives you the option of switching over and utilizing Liberty and being able to, uh, change up your herbicide program, uh, while still utilizing different hybrids and varieties that would, uh, be still good yielding germplasm.
0: Well, Cody, thanks again for uh, joining us on this, uh, call here this afternoon, taking time out of your busy spray day. Uh, to join us and provide your insight and wealth of knowledge on the weed management front. Um, Is there a way the audience could follow you or get access to some of your agronomic updates? So, yeah, um,
2: I've got a Twitter handle. You guys can jump on, follow me. Usually I try to put some updates from some of the research that we've got going on in the field, uh, some of the different things that I'm getting to see. But uh, my Twitter handle is at
1: ilwn.
2: T-E-C-H-D-E-V, so at ILWN TechDev out there.
1: And as a bonus, they might get to see a picture of your smiling mug. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know
2: if that's as much of a bonus as we're uh, <laughs> painting it out to be.
0: All right. Well, Cody, thanks again for uh, stopping by and have a good weekend.
2: Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. And as always, it was great talking to you guys, and we'll catch you later.